This is the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Preston, episode 150, The Power of Inclusivity. Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for barrier-breaking women who are ready to shed their good girl layers so they can own their power and live deeply fulfilling lives instead. I'm your host, Lindsay Elizabeth. I'm a leadership coach to women all over the world. And I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. We can't fear the fire, we must learn to become it. And on this show, I'll teach you how to do just that. So join me and my guests as we challenge you to shed society's bullshit systems and beliefs to become even more of the strong, resilient, and powerful woman you were meant to be. As you listen, trust your intuition to take what you love and leave the rest. The thoughts and perspectives I share on the show are my own with the lens of my lived experience as a privileged, white, cis, straight, able-bodied woman. And while that informs my experience and perspectives, I wholeheartedly believe living a deeply fulfilling life is possible to every woman. If I ever say anything harmful, I'm open to doing better and hearing your feedback. My goal is for you to leave this show feeling empowered, inspired and ready to share this show with every woman you know so they too can create a life that lights them the fuck up from the inside. Are you ready to get started? Let's go. Hi there, my friend. Welcome to another episode of the show. We are back. We are live. We've got new interviews. We've got new episodes. It's so great to be back and I feel so refreshed and I've got some great interviews already recorded and lined up for you over these next few months. The first one that's kicking us off is with Dr. Kristen Donnelly and this interview who is one I'm going to listen to many times over and one I'm going to be sending to all of my friends and family, including my husband to listen to. It's a very powerful one. Just to give you a background on Dr. Kristen Donnelly, she's a TEDx speaker. She's an international empathy educator and researcher with two decades of experience and helping people understand the beauty and difference and the power of inclusivity. She is one of the good doctors of Abby Research, COO of their parent company, and an unapologetic nerd for stories of change. She lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband, and she's surrounded by piles of books and several video game consoles. Um, Kristen's TEDx Talks too. you have to go listen to. We will link them in the show notes. This interview is good, but her, her TEDx Talks, woo, they are good good. Really, really, really good. You're going to learn a lot from today's episode. Again, this is going to be one that you're going to want to listen to time and time again. As you can probably tell, we're talking all about inclusivity, very powerful topic. It's going to open your eyes to many things. It's going to open your eyes to maybe where you're not inclusive and where maybe you're not experiencing inclusivity in your life. And that's going to bring up some stuff for you. So just fair warning on that. But this is the work of becoming this fully embodied, you know, more unstoppable woman. As I say sometimes too, like this badass bitch. And I know sometimes people don't like that word, bitch. I love it. I think it's a beautiful thing. Like, Ooh, yeah. Like let's 
to me, it's like a powerful woman. Like I'm going to stand in my power and I'm going to bring other people along with me in that power. And that's why I wanted to kick off my first interview of the new year with the new season of the show with Kristen, because so good. So without further ado, I'll let her talk and deliver all the goods. I hope you enjoy this interview. All right, listeners, I've got Dr. Kristen Donnelly here today to talk to us about inclusivity and the power behind it. And I said in your intro, Kristen, all about your TEDx talks that I'm obsessed with now and how they need to go listen to those too. And I'm just so thrilled that you're here today to talk to us about this extremely important topic. Um, So I just want to start with the basics. Like what does inclusivity mean to you? This is such a great question. And Lindsay, thank you so much for having me. I love having these conversations and I love the work that you're doing. So I'm so thrilled to be here. The definition of inclusivity is so wide and varied to people. So it's always good to double check what we're talking about. For me and at Abbey Research, what we believe inclusivity means is that everybody gets to show up on their own terms. That the the space that you've created in your organization or in your life Every, you don't assign who people are going to be. You don't have somebody in the room because they are a category of people. You have them in the room because they are a human and they get to bring anything they want to, to that table. And so as part of that, in order to make that happen, we have to make sure that there is space for difference and disagreement and cohesion and all of those kind of bigger words about how humans can get along together, but essentially everybody gets to be who they are in their own terms. Yeah. It's like so simple yet. So complex, right? Because we have all these systems and everything. Yep. Everything is so simple and nearly impossible to do. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) It's, it's, I think so much of it is we've tried to make it so much more complicated because it feels complicated. Mm -hmm. Like it, it can't be as simple as listening to people. Can it? It can, because it's that it's hard. Um, but it can be that simple and it is, it is that simple. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing of being able to listen is that we just develop these belief systems and like, this is right. This is wrong. This is how it is. And then when we listen, it questions all of those things, right? Absolutely. And we have assigned so many things, moral judgments and categories that don't actually have them. So one of the biggest ones that we talk about all the time is, um, is kind of the, the fat stigma, the people that, that people who are fat are lazy. And it's because we've decided that some food is bad and some food is good. Food is food. Y'all like carrots don't have a moral judgment. They're just carrots. But if, you know, we've decided that cake is bad and carrots are good. And so if you eat more cake, you're bad. If you eat more carrots, you're good. And we've assigned moral judgments to things that don't deserve them, need them or thrive under them. People are just people. Mm-hmm. And, and we can be complicated together. Can we break down that a little deeper? If we go deeper For on sure. that. Okay. Because if we look at good and bad, right. And we look at the diet industry is what I'll call it or the fat stigma. Mm-hmm. So if we go to a doctor, they're going to say, quit eating sugar, carbs, blah, 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 most doctors. Right. And so that's how we define those things. So how do we interpret, you know, what's good messaging and what's bad messaging if we're just looking at food. So in my mind, you just asked seven different questions, but because the way the world has worked, everyone's going to think you asked the same question. So you asked me a question about what doctors are going to say. Well, doctors are going to talk about physical health. Physical health does not have a moral judgment. 
And then you're going to ask me, and then you ask me about messaging and marketing. Well, marketing is about making sure that you make, that you feel terrible about yourself. And so that you buy this product to fix it. So it's innate with moral judgments. So we have put moral judgments upon physical health. So in in essence, what I'm hearing out of that is just everything's neutral. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Everything, everything is neutral except for the statement that humans have dignity and worth. The moral judgment, the moral things that we need to move forward with are that humans are inherently worthy and inherently have dignity. And when we're in these conversations with each other and trying to navigate the morality, one of the questions that I ask myself and we encourage our um, customers and clients to ask is, is this assumption I'm making about them stripping them of their humanity? Mm. Is this thing that I'm assuming about them mean that I can't? allow the humanity in me to acknowledge the humanity in them. Yes. Okay. But here's the problem, right? Kristen, Right. we don't know a lot of times what we're putting on them because a lot of it's unconscious bias. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. So So, it's all work. Yeah. So let's dig deeper into that. How can we start to unpack the unconscious bias? By doing it. I know that sounds trite, Yeah. but the, the pro one of the problems currently with the way that we talk about unconscious bias and things like that is that we do make them seem really big because they are, but in making them seem so big and overwhelming, people just tap out entirely. Mm-hmm. So, which is, you just get, I mean, I do it. You just get overwhelmed and you're like, I'm never going to be a better person. I'm, 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 I'm or you are, you get really defensive. Well, they're just overreacting and I don't need to deal with that because everything's so overwhelming. So at Abbey Research, what we like to do is break it down to really simple stuff. So how do you fix unconscious bias? You educate yourself. So all of us have a gajillion, a gajillion unconscious biases about people. Pick one and start working on it. So let's keep going with the, uh, the you know, dieting industrial complex. So I, I sit here, you know, listeners, you can't see me, but I, I, I am and I identify as a fat woman. So one of the things that my business partner, who is and identifies as a thin woman, talks about is that it never occurred to her that there were restaurant seats that people couldn't fit in before she met me. It didn't occur to her that chairs with arms are not actually comfortable for a lot of people. She never met anyone who had to choose where they sat in a restaurant based on their body shape until she got to know me 10 years ago. So if I'm saying this and you're like, oh man, I've never thought about that either, then start here. Start here. There's give 15 minutes and watch a TED talk with somebody who talks about being fat. There's memoirs, there's podcasts, there's things like that. Pick a thing and start there. When you hear something in the news, that makes you go, well, that's bullshit. Um, or that's stupid or that person's being overly sensitive. Maybe they are. It's entirely possible. But before you land there, ask yourself if there's a curiosity you can chase first, ask yourself if there's something you can Google (laughs) to see if they are oversensitive or they are wrong or they are, they are silly. Nobody is stupid, by the way. That's the word that, that it's one of those words we need to get rid of. I say in my TED talk that one of the problems with this life where we have just assumed everything about other people is that it gets really easy to assume people are evil and to demonize other people. And very rarely, even if their beliefs are abhorrent to us and their beliefs are evil, very few humans actually are. Like there's definitely some out there. We try to put them behind bars um, or we make extensive Netflix documentaries about them, but neither here nor there. Ideas can be evil. Ideas can be immoral. People very rarely are. 
and that to a lot of people I know sounds like a circle jerk, like, but you're saying that you're saying that you're saying cool, but we have to start at the beginning and separate those things. So start somewhere and realize that every decision that you make to start somewhere means that you are, you have grown and you are different than who you were the day before. It means, you know, more so you can do differently. And don't get yourself caught up in the, I should have known. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, I feel so guilty. That is, those are unproductive emotions. And the person that you're learning more about, the bias that you are unpacking does not need your guilt. You messed up. You did something, you, you did something that hurt somebody. You made an assumption about somebody that was wrong. Okay, welcome to being human. Would you like a jacket? We have a whole club. It's a whole thing. Take a deep breath and learn something new and move on. Yeah. Okay. So here are my takeaways. Again, everything's neutral. This is the way I teach my clients all the time. Everything's neutral. But yet in society, it's always, we labeling it good or bad. Very often, right? People are good or bad. This is good and bad because we're just trying to fit into this system of like, how can we be successful and good and blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. And our bio, our biology tells us that we have to be with the tribe that makes us safe. Mm. And so we'll do anything to remain safe. That's our biology. But the good news is that as humans, we have a higher consciousness and we can overcome our instincts and our biology. Totally. Totally. What I also hear in there is get curious. Mm -hmm. Every time you're feeling maybe a judgment, it's kind of Mm -hmm. how I take it. Be like, Ooh, what is this about? How can I learn from somebody who's experiencing that to maybe open my perspective and look at things a different way? Yeah. And what in me just went, Ooh. Yeah. Is it a, cause some of this stuff is trauma of your own. A lot of this is our own garbage and our own baggage and our own junk. And we it place our own stuff on other people and on other things and on other stuff. So it's a both. And what can I learn about that? Those other people. And what can I learn about myself? Totally. I mean, it makes so much sense too, because this past year I've been doing my own anti-racism DEI training with a coach And there were many weeks we were covering race and sex and all the things. Right. And then one week it got to the diet industry and I was like, yeah, I'm good because I've benefited from that as a, identify as a thin woman. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then as we dug deeper into it, it was how I found reasons and way in which I didn't benefit from the diet industry. And I also found ways in which I would have those jerk reactions because I'm like, wait, I'm following the system. Mm -hmm but I'm confined in that system. And so I'm slightly angry and resentful at that system. Right. Totally fair. It's a, yeah. it's a pretty garbage system. Like yeah. It's, well, they all are. Yeah. yeah. All the yeah. systems are garbage. Yeah. The problem is that we put them in place. So I'll say this. The reason that people don't see the systems is that the systems are designed to be invisible to those they benefit. So if you've never thought about this before, that's fine. It probably just means you benefit from that system. It doesn't mean that the system is working for everybody. It was just working for you. This is one of the reasons that I teach, we teach all the time. My business partner and I are both social scientists. We both have PhDs in social science. And so we study, we study, you know, patterns of humans the same way that, you know, bioscientists study patterns of blood work. Like it's the same kind of, the same kind of vibe. And the thing is, there is never any going back to another time because humans are never, we're always constructing new things. We're always moving forward. But the particular insidiousness of the myth of back to normal is the belief that the system that worked for you works for everybody. Mm. That's good. And when we exist under the lie that back to normal is possible or back to back to whatever is possible, then you are ignoring the fact that there are different ways to human. Yeah. So what I hear in that was back to normal is back to when things worked in my favor. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. And even that's not possible, but that's what it means. You can never go back. We're all Jack from Lost. You absolutely should never go back. Nobody should go back. Right, right, right. Because you can't. Yeah. So when these people are like, we want the, it to be like it was 20 years ago. It wasn't like that 20 years ago. You have <laughs> decided what some, I mean, this is the other thing. The human memory is faulty. Like how much memory studies have we learned that you're actually remembering a photocopy of a photocopy of a memory. We all rewrite ourselves. Our brains are innately designed to protect us. That's its job. It's designed to protect us and help us find safety. So any divergence from that that requires either medication or therapy or thought processes or whatever, any divergence is a, is something that needs to be addressed for any certain way. And some of that is, is rewriting your brain chemistry, rewriting your mindset, rewriting things so that your brain helps you instead of hurts you. But your brain is constantly trying to keep you safe. Beautiful, beautiful thing. The problem is it constructs realities that aren't other people's realities. Yeah. Like what I hear in that Kristen is when we evolve, there are certain segments of the population that are like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Correct. We all hate change. And now I have to do, yeah, I have to do the work and they're not wanting to show up and do the work. Yeah. And for a whole host of reasons. So it's super easy for those of us who are on kind of this journey of like, Hey, we can all be better people. Let's go to judge the folks that don't want to super easy. And this is where I want to always bring in trauma and pain into this conversation. I want to, it's what our work always involves inclusivity, reframing trauma and unlearning exhaustion, because we think all of those things are so tied that we can't have one conversation without the other. And the thing with trauma is that we compare trauma so often, and that's wrong. Trauma is trauma. It's not neutral to the individual, but it's neutral kind of in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what I think about your trauma. What matters is that you are in pain and it has affected how you live. Full stop, done, that's it. So when I look at people and I'm just like, Jesus wept on all of his crosses. Could you please just get with the program? It is 2021. We don't think that way anymore. What I have to do is remember what, what of their pain that they have not processed, that they have not been told is valid. And so therefore has calcified inside of them. What, what pain are they acting out of right now? Yeah, I agree. How can I understand that? Mm-hmm. in order to offer them back their humanity that they perceive as being stolen from them because of this new way of living. Yeah. What's tricky in that Kristen, and this is what I do with a lot of my clients is um, what are the boundaries with that? Oh, for so sure. We, yeah, Like we still want to honor that, but we still have to say, Hey, no, this behavior is not tolerable. Yeah. And I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm never advocating to be in a relationship with people who are toxic with you like mm-hmm. ever. That includes like social media, that includes personal life, that includes all of that. But I also don't believe that the only way to remove yourself from that is to terminate the relationship. Not always, sometimes yes. But more often than not, it's setting up decisions and intentionality within yourself about how you're going to respond to things and what you can engage in conversation with and what you can't. Now, when you set boundaries in relationships, people are going to be pissed and it's going to be hard and they're going to be angry. And the thing is, you aren't responsible for their emotions. But the biggest tip that I give folks is decide to engage in conversations that you can separate emotion from. Mm. If you can't separate the emotion, then don't engage in the conversation. Engage in conversations. You can separate your emotions. Separate your emotions from. That's so good. So I believe deeply in heart-centered leadership. And and when people hear me talk like this, I, I often sound, I think, like a monster with no soul. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we feel things deeply. 
But here's what I do know about human communication. When we bring any emotion, anger, pain, fear, frustration, overwhelm, anything, when we bring any emotion into a conversation that is already charged with moral judgments, it only gets ugly. Yeah. So I'm happy to, to talk about race work because I'm a person of privilege. I don't attach any emotions to this stuff. It's really simple. I'm happy to talk about gender stuff because I've worked through my emotions about it and I can separate them. It is much more difficult for me to engage in conversations about sizeism, much more difficult. There are times I cannot engage in it. I just can't. And I say either to the person or myself, I need to end this conversation. I was somewhere at a networking event um, a couple months ago. And I was joking about like, you know, cocktails or, or something. I can't even remember. And this person who I had met exactly 17 minutes prior, like actually looked at me and asked me what my A1C count was. And was I sure I wasn't diabetic 17 minutes prior. And in my, my emotion at that point was a meet was anger and shame and deep fear that I wasn't worthy to be in this group of people because she had just called me out as being fat and broken. And because of all the work and if, and five years ago, Kristen would have bit her head off. I am, I am verbally vicious. And I usually know a lot of really big words that scares people. I can eviscerate somebody if I want to, because I thought for a long time that that's what strength looked like. So I practiced it and I got really good at it. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned now, what strength looks like goes, that's not a conversation I'm interested in having right now. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And changing the subject. That's what strength truly looks like. I didn't invalidate her. I didn't say that she was evil or disgusting or wrong, which all of my emotions were saying she was at that moment. But all I just said is, hey, I'm tapping out. And if she had chased it and said, no, I really think we need to have it. My response would have been, you're not my medical professional. I have those conversations with my medical professional. And if she had still chased it, I would have physically removed myself from the situation. Yeah. So again, Kristen, like what I hear in there is neutrality. And if I feel myself triggered, that's my boundary. And I continue to follow that boundary because I'm not in a neutral place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of want to go back. We've gone on this tangent. I apologize. No, you're good. I'm like following the breadcrumbs here. It's beautiful. So we're talking about diversity, right? And inclusivity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back to something that I pulled just from like your question list, I I believe. And it said diversity is a reality, right? What do you mean by that? Every single person is diverse. Every single one. We are all brimming with everything we are. We are never just one thing. So if you look at the actual textbook definition of diversity, it just means a lot of things at once, right? <laughs> like it doesn't, it's not like any, anything beyond that. We have as a society, particularly since the 1990s, decided that diversity means black people and white people. And we don't ever say that out loud. So hi, let me be the person saying it out loud, but we don't ever say it out loud, but that's all of our diversity workshops are essentially about kumbaya. Let's make sure white folks and black folks can get along. And we shove people in proximity and we say, cool, now we're diverse. Well, here's the issue with that you are already diverse. You are already diverse. A room full of white people is still diverse. It might not be racially diverse, but it's probably socioeconomically diverse. It might be religiously diverse. It might be ability diverse. I need to remind everybody that according to the Americans with Disabilities Act, mental health and physical health are included in the Americans with Disabilities Act. So if somebody is diagnosed neurodivergent in any way, ADHD, dyslexia, anxiety, They fall under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So we have diversity in every, you and I are in a diverse conversation. We both physically present as white ladies, but we've just talked about our body shapes are different. We're in a diverse conversation. Mm -hmm. So if we can accept that diversity is a reality and every room you walk into is already diverse, we can stop pretending that's the goal. And instead we can make inclusion the goal. 
and the, the, the thing that stops us from doing inclusion as the goal is privilege. Privilege is our barrier to understanding all of that. And then I usually say that, that, that the tolerance is the cheap imitation of both diversity and inclusivity. We replace inclusivity with tolerance and think that's fine. And that's what's gotten us to this really, really fractured society where none of us actually know how to talk to each other. We're so petrified of authentic conversations because we've been taught we're not allowed to have them. Mm-hmm. We've been shown. It's painful. It's hard. It's messy. It's gross. But there are ways to do it. And by embracing culturally, internationally, by saying that tolerance is the goal, we've excused us all away from having inclusive conversations. Yeah, I mean... In that I hear is like, okay, we've, and you said this in your TED talk too. We've checked these boxes. We need more diversity. Let's bring these people in. Let's do these things. But then there's really, that's all we've done. Mm -hmm. And if we have any kind of training, it's like, oh, let's make sure we invite black people into this conversation. We have to go so much deeper into that. The thing is we often, you know, people contact us for DEI workshops and then be really upset that we're not women of color and be like, well, we're really looking for people of color. And we're like, okay, cool. Then, then that's not, I mean, obviously not us. Amazing. Here's the resources. Here's the women of color we trust that are looking to have this conversation. Um, but they'll be like, okay, well, we want to work with you and we're open to, to listening to white women, which is always a fascinating comment. Um, but we really want to have a racial diversity workshop. And we're like, okay, that's fine. That's not one of the services that we offer because we think that's actually a damaging viewpoint to take. We think you actually have to have a much wider conversation about diversity rather than just making it about racial diversity and racial equity. It has to be wider because pretending you can silo any of those things only leads to more siloing. And it may, it very easily makes us all pretend that every racial group is homogenous and it's not. The racial group in your office is not homogenous. <laughs> so if we just keep focusing on that and pretending homogeneity it's going to make it it's going to make it continue that the only way we know how to introduce to interact with each other is tolerance because all you can do with homogeneity is tolerate it it's once you get to know people that you can engage with it yeah okay let me digest that for a minute kristen so in essence tolerance is just like i'm tolerating you you're tolerating me you're you are, my existence you are alive because it's illegal to kill you okay and i acknowledge that you are that you are out there right so then the goal is I want to know you. I want to listen to you. I want to understand your journey, what you go and then through. You can yeah. make an informed choice as to whether or not you want to be in relationship with them or not. Based on who they are as a person versus who you the present category, as. The category you've assigned to them. Yeah. It, it's kind of mind blowing. It's like, I mean, I feel like I do this work. I mean, I'm sure I could find instances in which I'm not doing this work welcome to humanity. We're all, st- we're right? all on the journey. Like, but it's like thinking like there are some people out there that don't do that. Yeah. It's the other thing that we've discovered. So I've been doing this work in a way for about 20 years. Um, we've been doing it intentionally and focused for about two, three really at Abbey research. And as we've been reflecting and, and talking to each other, uh, all the constantly all the time about what this looks like, We've discovered that as a rule, humans are well-intentioned and nobody, very rarely do people want to be terrible to other people. They've just been told they have to be because that other person is threatening their safety. Mm, yeah, so true. Especially after 9-11. Especially after 9-11, especially after, um, I mean, we're very quick. There's a, an Aaron Sorkin line that says, how do you win elections? Is that you gather a bunch of middle-class, middle-aged, middle-income voters and you talk to them with longing for easier times. 
And then you say, look at that person over there. They're to blame for your lot in life. Mm. And as I, I mean, that's an American president, which he wrote in like 1994 or something. And as I look at the last 30 years of human existence, that's it. That's what we've done. That's not just how you win elections. That's how you win social media followers. That's how you win anything is you gather a bunch of people and you say, Hey, your life used to be easier. And you don't want to know why it's harder now that person. Yeah. And they go to that population because it was easier at one time. Yeah. Or, or it was perceived to be easier. Mm. And so all of this means that, and that feeds on tolerance because you don't know that person over there. You just know what the person talking to you has decided that person is. Mm. So again, for us, it's all about the informed choice of relationship. This is where boundaries can come in. This is where eliminating yourself from toxic relationships can come in. All of that's really important. That's understanding trauma, but so much of life is informed choice instead of assumptions. Totally. Well, and I think too, it it goes back to self-awareness is like, what do I want? Who am I as a person? And if you haven't done that work, it's really hard to find that with very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. It's why we love talking to organizations that are already talking about leadership because leadership especially should be entirely an exercise in self-awareness. I don't understand how you lead people without knowing who you are. Uh, people do it all the time. I mean, hello, 1980s. Like that's the, you know, um, that's the legacy of Wall Street for us, right? Yeah. But true leaders, not just people in charge, but true leaders know who they are and then leverage that knowledge to inspire and influence other people. Yeah. So anyone who's really interested in the study of leadership, this is a really fun conversation to have with them because it's like, hey, just like take this another step further. You're already kind of doing this. Do it more. Yeah. That's what I hope for most of our listeners. I mean, that's my clients for sure. It's like, they're already doing the work. Let's just yeah. take it farther. Yeah. Let's keep going. Let's We're keep never going done. No. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It makes life exciting. I think. I think too. And I think it's one of the hard things about being in business is that we're constantly in goal orientation. So we're constantly, you know, in Q4 metrics, we're in metrics in business, especially everybody who's in business is in metrics in some way, shape or form. And there are some metrics we can apply to our personal lives, but there's no end goal to those metrics. Mm -hmm. And so I worry that sometimes we, uh, we assume the metrics mean we're done with a project. Like we are in business. Mm-hmm. Okay. We like achieved check. that goal. We finished yep. that client. We did that. So then people do that in their personal lives entirely subconsciously. Ooh, Chris. And that's good. So true. So how do we help each other? Yeah. Remember that the project is not being a human doing it's doing a human being. It's doing yes. being a being. How do we help each other? Because our, our brains are not going to let us remember ourselves. I say all the time that I outsource my mental health. <laughs> Um, because I cannot be trusted to take care of myself. I can't, I'm 38 years old. I've been trying to do it for a little while. Here's the things I know I'm not good at. I'm not good at remembering to eat lunch. I will get busy and forget. And at three o'clock I get hangry. So there are like four people in my life that routinely check in with me. If I ate one of the women who, who, uh, helps clean the office that I'm here, she gets really mad at me. If there's not lunch trash in my trash, as she cleans up every day, <laughs> she gets really judgy. <laughs> She's like, excuse me, Kristen, why haven't you eaten? I'm like, I'm sorry, Jenny. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to eat. Um, but I I am I know my own limits. I know what I'm good at. And I know that I could keep trying to get better at this, and I will. But in the meantime, on I need to make sure that I've got I've got people have my back for the days I'm terrible at it. Yeah. 
Okay. So my takeaways in there, and it goes back to some of my own ahas recently. Um, and I teach this to my clients who is like, we are good at certain things, right? Mm -hmm. We call it like the zone of genius or the zone of excellence kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I realized two more is like, I'm not good at money stuff. And I realized like, I need help in that arena. Right. But I think a lot of times we're taught, like we need to be good at everything. Yep. It's a school system. Um, and also too, is like, if you check these boxes, you're a good human or you're evolving in the right direction. So a lot of times it's these external things. You get a house, you get married, you have kids, blah, 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 blah. Right. And we're back to the moral judgments on, on things that aren't, don't carry morality. Right. I loved in your Ted talk too. You're like, okay, I'm in my mid thirties or my late thirties. And so you assume I'm probably married, which I am. And then I have kids, which I do not. I do not. (laughs) And so then all of a sudden that changes. I'm not Mm -hmm. in the place of privilege anymore. Is that how you define it, Kristen? Essentially. Yeah. 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 I'm othered in society and the, the level at which I'm othered is different depending society to society. So there's some rooms I'm in where not being a mom is totally normal and everything's fine. And then there's like every women's networking event that I ever go to where it's weird that I don't have kids. And no one quite knows what, and very, very often people don't quite know what to do when they say, do you have kids? And I go, no, and I'm not having any. Mm. And they're like, I don't know. What, what do I ask you now? That's so mind blowing to me. My client and I got in a conversation about that the other day, cause she's not going to have kids. And she's like, I don't, can't find these people. I'm like, a lot of my clients don't have kids. So again, it's just the room, right? It's the room. It's the room. I mean, totally. it, like it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating, but yeah, it's what ways are you, so the, the gentler way to talk about oppression and privilege is centering and othering. Mm-hmm. And that it's not just gentler because the words feel less charged. It's gentler because they have lower consequences. So oppression and privilege tend to not change culture to culture. They tend to be global. Women are oppressed on some level to some degree everywhere. Everywhere is a patriarchal society. Um, you know, we have a global skepticism of, of people who are larger than the normal. We have a global problem with people who don't, who don't have all four limbs. We have a global problem with people of color. Centering and othering is the stuff that shifts from culture to culture a little bit more. So if you're at, so for instance, if you are in an exclusively black community and you're the white person who lives there, you're still privileged, but you're othered. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit weird. So the, the joke that I make in my TED talk is that I'm a, I, I'm a huge sports fan and being a, a lady and a sports fan, that intersection throws people off wherever I go, but it doesn't mean anything to anybody here in the States that I follow Liverpool football club and can recite the history of the club off the top of my head. And it doesn't mean anything to anybody in the UK that I can talk Phillies baseball at the drop of a hat. Both of those things center me in one place and both of them other me in one place. Mm. but the intersection of being a lady sports fan is kind of an oppression everywhere. Ask any woman who's a, who's a sports fan. And we have the, we have all of the jokes and all of the, all the ways in which we're not allowed to be what we are and how we don't see ourselves on TV as commentators or sideline. And that's changing. Thank God. But it wasn't when I was growing up, there was nobody who looked like me who was interested in sports. So I thought I wasn't allowed to be, and I kept it a secret. Yeah. And it's not like people come out and say these things either. Oh no, it's all latent. Yeah. It's just these messaging, right? Yeah. It's like, as you and I are talking, it's the first week of November and Eternals just came out. And one of the stories that's going around is Selma Hayek. When she put on her costume for the first time, she sobbed because it was the first time she had seen a brown skin superhero that looked like her. Mm, Oh, that gave me chills. We're in 2021. Yeah. We're in 2021. So there's some of those things. Every once in a while, I just get tired and like Aaron and I scream at 
each other or at crystals. We discovered once, by the way, that 1970s feminists like focused their rage at crystals because the crystals could hold their rage better than their bodies. So I literally, we each have crystals on our desks and we frequently scream at crystals. Um, We fell in love with that. But um, there are times that I just scream and I'm like, why are we still doing these firsts? And then I get excited. And then once I get past my rage, I'm thrilled that we're doing the firsts because now they're no longer the firsts. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's all, so centering and othering is really important to understand as well. There's going to be ways that you are centered in your work culture um, and centered in your, you know, religious community and ways that you're othered at home. You know, if you are the only person in your family who votes for this political party, that's an othering. It's probably not an oppression. It might be, but it's probably not an oppression. It is definitely an othering. Mm. So how do you set up boundaries? How do you navigate that? What do you do? That's my family. I, I vote differently than everybody else in my family. So we have some really specific understandings that most of my family agrees with, uh, uh, um, excuse me, go along with and are very respectful of. And one family member continually ignores. So I have different emotional responses and different emotional self-care with that particular family member. I'm othered in that way. I'm not oppressed. I'm not oppressed because of that choice or that belief system or anything else. I'm just othered. And it's a little bit awkward. It's weird. And that's what centering and othering more than anything else is awkward and weird and a little bit exclusionary and you feel lonely. But it very rarely means you don't have access to the system. It just, you're just kind of like, "Mm, this isn't, this is weird and awkward. And it makes me feel not quite as human. Yes. So again, it's like the example you gave earlier is like me as a white woman walking into a black with all black people. It's like, I'm more privileged, but I'm othered because I'm just, I'm different than everyone else's skin color in the room. Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why sometimes it's like a double whammy for if we're just looking at skin color. So I grew up in a town, upper middle class. It was like thousands of white people. And then there were like these set 10 black people, one of which was Mm -hmm. my best friend. Um, And so then not only are they oppressed, but they're othered. Right. So there's this this double thing to work through. Okay. So Kristen, what I want to ask you next is what could a world look like where we're truly inclusive? I both love and hate that question because we're never going to get there. I just want to, like, I want, I want to say my goal is not a totality, truly inclusivity, because I don't think we can get there. Humans are too human. What I, what I do want to talk about, I love the idea of that. It looks like all of us, you know, being much calmer, having less anxiety, being in more community, all of those kind of things. What I'd rather talk about is what it could look like in our lives, in our individual lives. Mm. And what it can look like in your individual life is that it is richer. It is not, people often tell me that they're worried that they're going to get really sad because of how wide and ugly the world is. And I'll say, if you do that, if the sadness is permanent, then that is not, then you're not doing it right. Hold intention that the world is different, that there's different ways to be human and that you may be incredibly privileged. If you are an American citizen, you are incredibly privileged globally, no matter what your other intersections are. You have access to resources that some other folks don't have. We also are oppressed because we don't have some access to resources that other people don't have, but you're still incredibly privileged because of that blue passport and the access to the blue passport. There are other places that, that are different than that. If you have, I think, I think the statistic is if you have a thousand dollars in your savings account, you are in the top 2% of wealth globally. When you take everything into account, if you have like a, it's something like that, that might be a little, a little crass. So take that all into account. The world's ugly. People are terrible. People are beautiful and wonderful, and we can learn from them. So I find that a truly inclusive life is one of balance. It's one where you see the real, the stuff that makes you scream at crystals. 
<laughs> and the stuff that brings you unspeakable joy that may not have even happened to you. We start every week at Abbey Research with empathy exercises, where we tell you stories from around the globe that you should know about to help understand humans better. There's always terrible ones. There's another, somebody who was accused of sexual assault. Um, Nicaragua, as we talk right now, just had an unfair election, according to the citizens of Nicaragua. You know, what's also really beautiful is that there was a female hockey player in the United States who was getting crass sexist taunts. The entire town turned out to drown out the sexist taunts. You know, what's really beautiful is that there was the, earlier this year, an entire female commentary staff for a baseball game. I listened to that game. It was great. Yeah, it was so great. <laughs> it was so great. The people who won, the the barriers to publishing are are crumbling a little bit. So we're getting queer and queer voices and international people of color. We're getting more in translation than we ever got before. What that means is that we also now know more about the lived experiences of people in places like Equatorial Guinea, who most people couldn't find on a map. But I got from my library last week, a graphic novel about a girl growing up in Equatorial Guinea and realizing she's gay Mm -hmm. and what that felt like for her. So I get to sit with her story when 20 years ago, I couldn't have found Equatorial Guinea on a map. How beautiful is that? How wonderful that is. It's a choice. It's an informed choice to understand the richness of humanity. I will say since I started doing this work, I feel generally more balanced. I understand that the world is terrible, but I also understand that it's beautiful. It's a lot easier for me to engage with things without my personal emotion. I feel stronger in what I don't know and what I do know. I have more patience for people. I have a ton more patience for people. Oh my gosh. I used to get so crabby at things like travel delays. And now I'm just like, everybody's doing their best. Mm -hmm. Nobody did this to hurt me personally, because it's a mind frame to remember that everyone is generally doing the best they can. Yeah. So that's what I think your life can look like. I think it'll be richer too. Like you'll understand what holiday traditions look like in different places. You'll taste food you never would have. You'll watch movies you never encountered. Your kids will know different things than you knew. Your business will be stronger because there will be different voices making sure that you've got all your bases covered. Mm-hmm. you're not going to show up on one of the list of like embarrassing logos because you forgot to double check it with a woman. <laughs> Everything's just going to be better because we're designed to live together. I already told you our brains are self-sabotage a lot. It's one of the reasons we got to live in, in authentic community because we got to outsource some shit of our own bodies and our own brains and our own souls. We can't do this by ourselves. Yeah. When you want to do it by yourself, we actually call that a disorder but we're really good at pretending we can do it by ourselves, or acting like we can or anything else like that. So I, I don't, I don't know what an inclusive society could look like. I mean, you know, you can check out that book from whenever ago utopia, it probably looks a little bit like that. I don't think it looks like John Lennon's imagine, but I do think it looks like everybody having a richer and more full human experience. And I know that's what individual lives look like. Dang, Kristen. So good. It just, it goes back to like, for so many people, it's like, when we get better, the world will be different. And it's like, it's so beautiful now. And just it's great now. the duality, the mm-hmm. duality of the quote, good and the quote, bad, right? The beautiful, the hard, take it all in. This is the human experience. It's all messy. It's all hard. Yeah. It's all beautiful. It's all, it, we are all so many things all at once. Yeah. Okay. I want to end with quoting you. From oh, your talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The quote is, I had to understand my privilege to understand oppression. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what this is about is like listening, understanding how the world kind of views us 
to understand where we are privileged, to understand we're also oppressed. I feel like I did that this past year again with my DEI anti-racism work is, oh my gosh, I've been oppressed and I realized with ableism. And this has spawned this whole ADHD that I didn't know I had and all these things because I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. But I also understood my deep privilege of like, oh, when I walk into a room automatically, you know, black women, especially are going to feel this around me. And I had no idea. Right. Um, so I thought that was such a beautiful quote, Kristen, and I can't oh, thank, thank you. you enough for showing up and giving us all this wisdom today. Um, anything else we missed? You're doing a great job wherever you are right now. You're doing a great job. You can do a better one. Sure. You can do a worse one probably, but right now I promise you, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Thank you, Kristen. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast. If you haven't left a review for the show yet, what are you waiting for? Your reviews give us the feedback and momentum we need to continue to produce this incredible free content for you. Plus, when you leave a review for the show, you get a copy of my book for free. Simply take a picture of your review and submit it to Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, epreston.com forward slash one zero zero and you'll receive a digital copy of my wisdom from the first hundred episodes book this book is a study guide for life enjoy and of course share this show with your friends i believe every woman can create a deeply fulfilling life that lights them the fuck up from the inside the more you help others succeed the more you help yourself so share share, share this show. And I'll see you soon and your friends back on the show next week for another eye-opening episode. Until then, keep rocking it.